Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park had a good weekend good time awesome weekend excellent i understand that you uh got to see some like awesome movies this weekend yeah telling me earlier totally uh the first one being uh yeah i forget what it was Was it super cyclone super cyclone yeah super super cyclone um it's about a storm it's about a cyclone obviously uh a that destroys of, the world or something? A lot of Michael Bay explosions. No, it like is supposed to take out the whole California coast or, or something. I don't know. Travis was fast-forwarding because he was looking for boobs. So. Yeah. Did, did you see a lot of boobs <laughs> in Super Cyclone? I didn't Maybe see. Maybe like, shirts getting blown well, off or something? I, I was hoping for that, but I didn't see any boobs, actually. I just saw some cheesy oh, explosions in a, a four-minute scene of uh, a carload of people getting picked up by a tornado and gently dropped back on the ground with no damage to the car that they were in. You said there's like a two-minute slow-motion scene you were telling me? Like four-minute slow-motion scene. Man, I mean, that's just, that's filmmaking of at terrified its faces. Yeah. Well, there's other movies like that. There's like uh, Two-Headed Shark Attack, which has Brooke Hogan and Carmen Electra in it. Right. I would have missed that one. And Evil and Bong. Evil Bong. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even know where to go with that. got to put that on your queue list, dude. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, you can rent it for three ninety nine from YouTube. <laughs> you could buy it for a dollar in the dollar bin. So if anybody wants to go rent it on YouTube, you can definitely do that. <laughs> so, um, I got the chance to uh, go out with uh, Dr. Future and a friend of his, and we went to uh, the Black Raven Emporium, and they have a small little movie theater downstairs. There's a bar... It's kind of like a goth club. I don't know. Have you ever been to it here mm-hmm. in Nashville? No, I've heard about it, though. And I got to see a uh, uh, movie called Basket Case from the 80s, and that one was real special. I've got that downloaded, ready to watch it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, really, uh, it's really awesome. Some, some really just great special effects, some real cheesy 1982 uh, claymation. It sounds like the goth kids are the ones that we should be hanging out with. 
Yeah, it didn't seem like there were too many goth kids. It seemed more or less like, you know, kind of horror fans that were down there. Yeah. But it's supposed to be like a goth club, apparently. That's pretty, so I don't know pretty how fine, that works. It's pretty thin line between the two uh, sub-genres there. Yeah. You know. But if anybody's in Nashville, you know, they should check it out. Because I think they do something every weekend. They had, like, ch- shows of some, some like, you know, bad grindhouse horror film. <laughs> like, similar to Basket Case. And, uh... But if there's anything, uh, like, uh, we move on, but uh, if there's anything that you wanted to add, like, say, about, like, our interview with Adam Go Rightly last week, last time? Hmm. Hmm. I just look forward to having him back on again. Uh, like you said, he's just got these pockets of information yeah. just uh, over a wide span of topics, you know, and uh, it just seems to be full of knowledge. Yeah, he does know quite a lot about his material and what he talks about. Uh, I want to have him back on to talk about maybe about like Charles Man- Charles Manson. Yeah, and some other things. Yeah, uh, and which uh, which our town, you know, Statesville had a little firsthand experience with everyone. You know, the rumors yeah, about him yeah. living in uh, the Devil's Racetrack cave down the street. The hippie holler. Hippie holler. Yeah. Yeah, you should try to bring that up to him. Yeah. Well, if we talk about because I'm kind of want to talk just about. Uh, the Manson family and maybe a couple other subjects that he taught that that he's written like whole books about this this stuff. Yeah. But uh, tonight we have a special guest uh, that we're gonna try to get on the line here in a second. Uh, his name is Bill Bean. He is from uh, uh, Baltimore, Maryland area, and uh, he's someone that I've met at uh, also met at the Mid South Paranormal Convention Conference, and uh, he. Uh, experienced a haunting in the 70s when he was a child and has just had a slew of paranormal things happen uh, from alien abduction to uh, experiencing not from himself but a demonic possession of someone else and also uh, you know just the, the violent haunting type things in his life and uh, someone I've really wanted to get on for a long time and uh if uh, nothing else to say, uh, Luke will go. What, what was that about. word that you said at lunchtime today? Like that I didn't know what it, what it meant. Hmm. You know what I'm talking about? You'd have to jog my memory. Uh, sorry with a D. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons. I don't, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'll think of it later. Okay. Oh, well, oh, 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 the word for someone who does one thing and acts like they're doing so. Or oh, acts duplicitous? Like du- duplicitous. Yeah. Yes. So you're always explaining your vocabulary when you're, when you're around me, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, without further ado, we're going to get to uh, Bill Bean, and we will be back on Conspiranormal. Okay, and we are back on Conspiranormal. I'm your host, Adam Sane. Co-host, Luke Reed. And tonight we have a very special guest, uh, someone that uh, I have known about for a long time since uh, watching um, a haunting on uh, either the Discovery Channel or TLC. But uh, this story, it was a story called, um, uh, I believe, In a Dark Place. No, it wasn't that. Uh, my, mar- my mind is, is absolutely blanking right now. But uh, this... Uh, this individual, his name is Bill Bean, and uh, he has been through, I'd say, probably the gamut of paranormal experiences, from um, violent hauntings 
to experiencing uh, demonic, uh, having to exercise someone who is demonically possessed, and even alien abductions right down to UFO sightings. And uh, he has had written two books. Uh, one's called Dark Force, and the second one is called Delivered. And they're both very excellent books that have made quite an impression on me. And uh, I just want to go ahead and bring Bill on. Uh, Bill, how you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Adam. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, thank you both for having me on. It's yeah. an honor and a pleasure to be, be here mm -hmm. with you. It's good to meet you. We're excited to hear your story. And sorry to blank on the uh, the what was the the, the haunting series? What was the um, that called that particular? Yeah, it episode? was the uh, it was the Discovery Channel series A Haunting, and the episode is called House of the Dead. House of the Dead, yes. Um, Bill, if you can kind of go, you know, uh, through your background and um, get us into like the story of of the uh, the house, the the haunted house in Harndale. Sure. Um, you know, I say in Dark Force that it all began in 1970 when my family and I moved into a three-bedroom ranch-style uh, house located in Glen Burnie, Maryland, in a community called Herondale. And, uh, but it really goes much further back. You know, after writing Dark Force, I learned additional information that uh, indicates that something was going on long before moving there. It intensified when we moved there, but uh, things were happening. I found out that my mom and her siblings had paranormal supernatural experiences in their childhoods, and I also found out that they moved around quite a bit as children. And at one point in their childhoods, they actually lived in that very area in Herondale, not far from where the house was. So uh, then I was given some old family photographs by my sister, and they had belonged to my mom, and when she passed, my sister had gotten them. And uh, in some of the photographs, I was just absolutely floored in seeing some of the photos. You know, uh, I've had a plethora, as you mentioned, a plethora of paranormal, supernatural experiences over the course of my lifetime. And uh, I have taken probably well over a thousand photographs of anomalous phenomena, along with many hours of video footage as well. And uh, so I'm always studying things. When I look at a photo... I'm not just looking at the, the person in the photo. I'm looking for other things going on there as well. It's just an automatic thing. And, and in some of these photographs, I found some very disturbing images. One was taken of my sister and I in 1968. Now, this predates moving into the house. I was two. She was 11. And uh, we, it looked like Christmas time, 68, were seated behind a toy piano. My sister's to my left, and to her far left is this huge black cloaked figure, like a hooded black cloak. And um, the thing looks to be about seven feet tall. And you can see it clearly in the photo. If you visit my website, billbean.net, click on Supernatural Photos, and it is there. And so, as you can imagine, you know, I was... was taken aback by seeing such a photo, very disturbed, and um, not surprised. And then I found another photo that was taken of me in uh, 1969, the following year. I was three years old, and in the photograph, it should have just been a photo of me, and I'm not sure if it was my mom or my dad who took the photo. It was a Polaroid photo. In the photo with me, 
lined up behind me in single fall are many different, I don't know what to say, call them beings, I guess, uh, humanoid-looking beings, and um, they're in single file. And then if you look further at the photograph, you see many different types of faces, and uh, some are non-human-looking, in the photograph. So I don't know what was taking place at the time that that photo was you know, being taken, but uh, it's almost like there was some sort of uh, doorway that was open, a dimensional doorway or something that was open that allowed all these different types of uh, manifestations to be in the photograph with me. So, you know, again, after learning this information, I thought, wow, you know, this is amazing that uh, all of this uh, activity was taking place predating moving into the house. So now, you know, in lieu of knowing that, I'm firmly convinced, and, and in further discussions with uh, family members that would know, uh, that someone many, many years ago did something, someone in the family did something to uh, conjure up these demonic forces. And I feel that, uh, you know, again, this was many, many, many years ago, you know, probably before my mother was even born. And um, I feel that, that those dark forces were upon the family and creating a variety of hardships and uh, tragedies, you know, many untimely and tragic deaths have taken place in my family on both sides of the family, and um, just some of the most bizarre things and circumstances, and so again, I'm firmly convinced that that dark force actually led us, my mom and, you know, uh, my dad, and, and I have an older sister and younger brother, to the, the house in Herondale where evil was already present and manifest because that area and is very evil and that the house is not the only house that's had problems. I still get messages from many people in the area to this day telling me that they are having problems or have had problems in their homes. So I'm firmly convinced that, you know, we were led there by that dark force where evil was already present and manifest. That's why it was so severe for us, and it greatly contributed to the destruction of my family. I have very little family left now. Most of them are gone. Yes. And do you feel that, um, that, like, that whole area, not just the house that you were in, that that whole area is actually um, just haunted, that there's something just really bad yeah. about it? Absolutely. Yeah, so I, I do feel that way. And about a year and a half ago, uh, a family in the area not far from that house contacted me and asked me if I would come and, and perform a deliverance in their home and a house blessing, and, and I did that. And I believe me, I do not like going back to the area. I'm, I'm not sure. afraid. I'm not afraid yeah. of anything. However, I get flooded with so many horrible memories just by going back into the area that it is overwhelming and um, you know it is not my favorite place to, to visit that's for sure so however that said I will go anywhere that God guides me to go because my life now is abundantly blessed and part of the blessings is giving back to help others so I believe God has called me to reach out and help other people who have had similar things happen or may, you know, be experiencing these things currently in their lives. And I'm happy to tell you 
that over the last several years, you know, God has worked through me to help many, many people uh, and and help them to be delivered from evil. And it's just a wonderful blessing. So again, where my life was so horrible and so cursed, it is abundantly blessed now, and I can never praise God enough for what He has done, for what He is doing, and for what He continues to do. And um, so I think it was so important in writing both books, especially Dark Force, though, because I felt for the longest time that I wanted to share the story, and I'm going to get back into more of the story to give your listeners a, a better idea of this. Sure. But I feel it's important to let people know that for many, many years I wanted to tell the story. However, uh, due to the tragic circumstances uh, concerning my mother, I... Uh, you know, she had died when I was 14, and I just, uh, after that happened, I, I just really didn't want to live anymore, to be honest with you. And I had quit school, lied about my age, and I went to work. And um, for the longest time, I just felt that I couldn't tell the story. You know, I always wanted to write a book, and I always wanted to share the story with people. And around, I guess, 2005, I just had a very strong urgency in my spirit that I needed to do this, and I knew it was God, and I kept resisting it because I felt that I wasn't uh, adequately educated, I wasn't good enough, I wasn't smart enough to write a book. How could someone like me with limited education do such a thing? You know, only smart people can Mm -hmm. do that. So I, right then and there, I made a conscious decision to stop saying that and stop limiting my limiting myself um, by saying that because when we say that we're not good enough or we can't do something well we're already defeated uh, that takes the effort away so the only way that we can achieve anything any goal that we set before us is through hard work and perseverance and faith and if we have those things, then there's nothing that we can't achieve. But if we go into it with the mindset of, no, you know, there's no way I can do this, I'm not good enough, well, we're already defeated. So I, I've learned some very important lessons as I have gone along here uh, in life. So I would say from 2005 uh, to current days here, God has blessed me with an abundance of wisdom and knowledge far beyond anything that I could ever imagine in my life. And I dedicated myself to uh, start to do studies and to broaden my intellect. And where I said before, oh, I'm dumb, I have an eighth grade education, uh, now I'm happy and proud to tell you through hard work and, and lots of study, I am not a dumb man by any stretch of the imagination. You know, again, I praise God for helping me to increase my intellect and, and now, uh, you know, since I have gone through all these things with, uh, with working very hard to, to broaden my intellect, uh, I'm happy and proud to say that, yes, I got the story out. I was able to write the book. It was very, very difficult to write because I had to put myself back in those situations and relive all of those events all over again. Right. So, you know, emotionally... And psychologically, it was very, very tough. It really was. And again, I had to rely on my strong faith to get me through. 
And God surely did that, because I do believe that he called me to write the book, and in both books, and share uh, my story. So I'm just happy and so fortunate to be in a position now to make a positive difference in people's lives. And as disturbing and terrifying as the story is, uh, there really is a very powerful and uplifting message in the book, and it's just really both books, but especially in Dark Force, where people look at that as, you know, a horror story, and uh, they wouldn't expect to see someone sharing their faith in there in the manner that I have. And, you know, again, those are not empty words when I praise God. I mean, those, I, I mean it with every fiber of my being that I can never praise Him enough. So, you know, I want the whole world to know that. But, you know, going back to the house, my mom was the first to have an experience, and it happened a couple days after moving in, and it happened in the living room. Uh, my dad, my both my parents were great people, hard, uh, just wonderful people. My dad was a hardworking uh, contractor. He was a master carpenter and very blessed with every uh, attribute necessary to be highly successful in life. And my mom was a wonderful lady, a homemaker. And um, they were married in 56. My sister was born in 57. So my sister had some joyous childhood recollections in her childhood. But I wasn't born until 66, and my brother was born in 69. So, you know, unfortunately, we don't have any happy childhood recollections. And, uh, you know, again, my mom was the first to have an experience, my dad had taken us, my brother and sister, um, with him to his parents' house for the day. So we'd gone with him to allow my mother, uh, so she thought, peace from us, disturbing her so she could unpack and organize the way she wanted to. So during the course of this, and she's alone in the house, during the course of this, she suddenly feels a presence. And she spins around. In her mind, she's thinking that you know, it's my dad, that he has snuck back into the house. He's going to play a joke on her. He's going to try and scare her. Right. And so she, she spins around, fully anticipating on seeing him. And her shock, you know, nothing was there. And so, as you can imagine, she was unnerved by it and eventually able to go back to doing what she was doing. It wasn't long after that that uh, one of the bedroom doors slammed shut by itself, and that was enough to make her go outside and wait until we returned. So that's when it, where it began. And then it gradually escalated into violent physical attacks on us from these demonic entities. So the, the actual like, like physical manifestation... That's correct, yeah. Um, over the course of time, and how in the world we lived in that house for 10 years is beyond me. We lived there from 1970 to December 1980. I don't know how we did it, you know, and it wasn't until I sat down the right dark forest that it really hit me, and I thought, how in the world did we endure all of that? And, you know, it really had intensified from 1975 to 1980 because... You know, upon moving in, now, by all accounts, my again, my parents were married in 56. 
by all accounts, they were happy. Uh, my dad was a very good man. Both my parents were good people. My dad, he was uh, just blessed. He really was. He, he was blessed, and it should have been highly successful in life. And his story alone is just so sad and tragic the way his life ended up. But um, it just seemed to all change very quickly, very drastically after moving into the house. And, uh, you know, my dad was a man's man, was a very tough individual, however, had a very kind heart and a very charismatic side to him as well. And so he was what I would call a lighthouse type of person to where he actually drew people to him. So again, you know, you're, you're talking about someone that, and then just blessed these tremendous physical skills that were passed down to him by his father. And uh, so he just was in a position for abundant success. And it wasn't long after moving in that his character began to abruptly change, and he went from this hardworking family man, uh, he began to drink very heavily, and I think each and every one of us came under demonic oppression at various times of living in there. My sister was the first to have a physical encounter, and that took place late in 1970. And she never felt the same again. Couldn't wait to get out of there, and she eventually ran away in the middle of the night in 1973 and married a young man in the neighborhood just to get out of there. And uh, then it seemed like the focus went on to my dad. And though he would never admit it to us, he did confide in my mother's mother, my beloved grandmother, Dora Harvey. Uh, he confided in her that he was seeing apparitions and he feelings of presence. And so there's no doubt he was under spiritual attack. And uh, he did not deal with that. Again, this is a man that a uh, very tough and strong and proud man, not afraid of anyone or anything. However was suddenly dealing with something that he could not control. So I think his escape from reality and certainly the gravity of the situation, his escape was um, drinking. And both of my parents were social drinkers, and in the beginning they did have you know some family gatherings and things of that nature, but as time progressed in living in the house, I do believe that uh, those demonic entities had a hand in him really delving into uh, heavy drinking. So he began to drink very heavily. His business began to suffer. Uh, he and my mom began to have arguments over this because he was staying out late at night. And uh, some days he would not even go to work and go to the bar all day and then drink all night in the bar and then you know come home and... Uh, you know, very drunk, and naturally my mother was very upset by this. And um, then he began to physically abuse her on a regular basis between 1973 and 1975, nearly killing her on several occasions. I can recall being eight years old, having to run and uh, to neighbors to get the police call on my dad. And uh, I have no doubt, based on what I witnessed, that um, while under the influence of alcohol, these demonic forces were able to enter him and fuel his rage towards my mother. It is quite miraculous that he didn't kill her. 
So he left us in 1975. Thank God he did. But when he left, he left us in such a bad way that, uh, that we had to go on welfare. And my mom, I failed to mention this, my mom was very ill the entire time that we lived in the house. She was suffering from high blood pressure which led to a series of strokes, which ultimately led to kidney failure. She was very, very ill. She could not work. And uh, he left us in such a horrible way with no money, was not sending any money home. He left and he moved to Florida. And uh, it was horrible. We had to go on welfare. Um, We ended up losing the house. The house was auctioned off in the front yard. I'll never forget it. And the man that bought the house in the public auction was aware of my mother's circumstances, and he allowed us to stay there on a pay-as-you-can-when-you-can basis. That's the most frequently asked question, why did you stay so long? Right. Well, uh, my grandmother, my mother's mother, wanted us to come stay with her, but she and my step-grandfather shared a one-bedroom apartment. My mother was not going to burden them with us. And my mother's sister wanted us to come stay with her, but she had eight children and a husband, and again, my mother was not going to be a burden to anyone. And as time went by, you know, again, each and every one of us came under demonic oppression at various times, and I feel that she was almost bound. You know, I say in Dark Forest, it was like we were prisoners in a POW camp. You know, we might as well have been in shackles and chains. We were defeated mentally, spiritually, and physically all the way across the board. Sure. Uh, Bill, let me ask you about uh, about your father. Um, it, when you and your your sister, your brother, your mother, when you were having experiences in that home, and you would go to him, would he deny that ter- that there was anything wrong in inside the house? Yeah, but, he didn't all the while having the same experiences himself. He didn't want to talk about it. Didn't want us talking about it and would not talk about it with us or to us. And one thing that I find um, interesting is that uh, it seems that he uh, had been the primary uh, focus for a while, and but at the same time, he wanted to really keep the house. And your mother, I think, was reluctant to keep the house, to stay there. Yeah. But as soon as he left... All of a sudden, your mother switched and said, no, we, I, I want to stay here. It, yeah, so it seems again, that there's some uh, kind of demonic oppression going on there. Sure, you're absolutely right. That's what, It's exactly what was happening. And it's a divide-and-conquer tactic. That's how these, uh, these demonic forces work, where they, you know, I've often said it's like a spiritual virus. Now, usually what happens is they'll find the weakest link, uh, the weakest uh, emotional person, you know, uh, the weakest person in, in the emotion might be in a bad emotional state or someone that's uh, very fragile, you know, with their feelings or something like that or their emotions. And they go to work on that person and it usually starts there and then it spreads throughout the family. But the ultimate goal and focus is they, they want to get the head of the household out of there first because, uh, A, there's strength in numbers and B, when you get the strongest one out of there, it's a lot easier to conquer the other one. Right, yeah, divide and, and that's conquer, exactly yeah. what happened. Sure, that's exactly what happened. You know, they got the head of the household out of there. Once he left, uh, again, my sister was already gone, so it was uh, down to my mom and my brother and I. And after he left, my mother then came under regular physical attack from these entities, on a, uh, again, on a regular basis, got to the point to where 
she was being, uh, they were coming to her bed at night and, and waking her up by choking her, and she had cuts, bruises, and scratches on her long after my dad left. And um, I'm sorry to say that she was suffering these attacks up until the day of her untimely death. And, uh, you know, it got to the point to where she just couldn't sleep in her bed anymore. She had to sleep in with us. So, you know, it turned out, as it turned out, there were three people living in a three-bedroom house that were sharing one bedroom now. And you know, I'm ashamed to tell you guys this. You know, I'm a big, strong man now. I don't fear anyone or anything. However, yeah. back then, as a child, if my mom had to use the bathroom and it were, you know, if it was just the two of us in the house, I would wait outside the door until she came out. I mean, that's how bad it was. Right. We were we were just on the edge constantly on edge. Uh, we never got proper rest in the house. I had suffered many physical attacks myself over the years, and after each attack, I always felt like I had the flu. I would have these fevers and body aches and things of that nature. It's just it was just awful. It was just I wouldn't wish it on anyone. It sounds like it was just a constant assault, just a, a barrage all the time. Yeah, we never had any peace. We never had any peace. We never got it's it's miraculous that my mom lived as long as she did because we were under so much stress all the time. So the mental aspect of it was far greater than the physical abuse and we suffered, believe me, physically as well, but but the uh the mental strain that we were under was far greater. Um what were some of the personal like things that happened to you inside the house? And, well, the first, and how accurate is the, the, the haunting episode? How accurate was did that did it portray what happened? Well the A haunting episode is not that accurate. I'm grateful sure. to them for, you know, airing it and as a matter of fact, as we're doing this interview, someone sent me a message saying your show was on they have they've shown that show so many times on yeah. Every channel, Animal Planet, Planet Green, Destination America. Um, and I'm grateful for that. I really am, because if not for that, then people wouldn't know my story. So I'm very grateful for that. However, uh, the depiction was not very accurate. And when people read Dark Force, they see the difference and they say, wow. You know, I mean, there's, there's some big differences here. And again... I have I have no ill feelings towards them at all. I, I'm grateful that they aired it, but really, the true and accurate story is in my book Dark Force, and it will be uh, uh, also depicted <clears throat> on the big screen very soon, and it will be depicted in an accurate manner as well. Oh yes. Um, if it's not too much to ask, uh, could you go into a little bit of detail about what is, some of these apparitions look like? Sure. Well, I, um, you know, the first attack that I had suffered was in 1971. Now, again, my sister had a physical encounter in 1970, and mine was very much like hers in the in the fact that uh, late at night, and I should let me give a quick layout of the house so people can get a better understanding of this. The house is located at the bottom of a downhill cul-de-sac, and. Um, the house had a very ominous look and feel about it from the outside. It was semi-dilapidated. My dad, being a master uh, carpenter, saw it as a restoration project, which he did quite a bit of work to it. 
Uh, the inside was equally ominous and foreboding with dark brown paneling on the walls. I mean, it just looked black. Very little light came into the house, and it just had that heavy vibe to it. You could just feel that something wasn't right. And uh, you'd walk in through the front door into the living room, you would make a right down a long hallway that had hard tile floor. And I shared the first room on the right with my brother. My parents had the second room on the right. And then my sister had the room across the hallway. And we called that the back bedroom. That is the bedroom where the door would open and slam for many repetitions at a time. And I feel that room was the, uh, the, the vortex or the gateway or whatever you want to call it for those entities. I really believe that. And uh, so, again, very much like my sister, middle of the night, something wakes me from my sleep. Now, my bed is closest to the door, to the hallway. My brother's bed was over near the window. And uh, so I, I'm awake. I can't see anyone or anything there, but I know something's there. So I'm very frightened. And I go to get out of bed. I'm going to go and get my parents and a tremendous force grabbed me by my shoulders, slammed me back on the bed. I was pinned on the bed on my back. And, you know, I've probably given nearly 800 interviews now. And every time I talk about this, it gives me chills. And um, I can't accurately describe it in words, the emotions that I was feeling at that time. I mean, just absolute (sighs) off-the-chart. Uh, trauma, you know, just terrified. My heart, I felt like it was going to jump out of my body. I felt like I was going to leave my body. I felt like I was going to die. And um, I'm five years old. Can you imagine a five-year-old suffering this kind of trauma? And I I felt paralyzed. I, I felt that I couldn't move anything. The only thing that seemed to be working or moving were my eyes. I desperately tried to scream out for my parents, and my mouth wouldn't work. And the events that were taking place seemed like seemed like it was lasting for hours. I'm sure it was just several minutes, but it was horrible. And many horrible things were happening during the course of that. And it all stopped with the uh, appearance and manifestation of what I believe had to be a divine apparition because, you know, again, all of the horrible things that were happening to me suddenly stopped. And this lady appeared at the foot of my bed. I could see down the foot of my bed. And she had a white gown or a very pale blue, you know, it was like a, it was glowing. And um, long blonde hair. And she with the appearance of this manifestation, all the horrible things that were happening suddenly stopped. She was gazing and smiling at me. I felt love and comfort from her. I felt safe with her being there. And the most amazing thing about it, uh, as she stood there, you know, just smiling and gazing, and then uh, just turned, and I believe it was to her left, and just went up went right up through the ceiling. The most amazing part of the experience is that this manifestation looked exactly like my mother. 
exactly like her. And I wasn't the only one to see her. She helped me many times. She also helped my mom on many occasions. Now, can you imagine, you know, it's already crazy enough that you're being attacked by these <clears throat> otherworldly or supernatural forces, whatever you want to say, you know, these demonic forces. And then to have what we would believe and what I believe to this day was a divine manifestation appear and and help and actually help. It's just absolutely mind-boggling. And I can't imagine the emotions my mother must have been feeling at that time to see uh, an apparition form that looked exactly like her. Hmm. So she also saw the same, um, the, the exact same being? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, many of the family members, most of my family and friends saw her as well. And she was erroneously depicted in the A Haunting episode as a sinister apparition, which is, you know, again, not true. Right. Uh, not, not based on what yeah. <laughs> my encounters were with that entity. And uh, during the course of living there, I saw five manifestations, and uh, four I absolutely believe were evil. Um, one we called the Undertaker. This uh, this apparition or demon is a better term for it. It looked like a human male, black hair, like curly uh, black hair, wavy black hair, um, black beard, chalky white skin, uh, just very very pale white skin, black eyes. It wore a black suit. Sometimes it wore a black hat. And uh, that is one of two entities that were regularly assaulting my mother. And the other uh, had red curly hair, close, really close crop curly hair, uh, clean shaven, a scar down the left side of its face. Again, very chalky, pale white skin, black eyes. Then another manifestation was a female long, dark hair, long black gown, sharp facial features, very sinister-looking thing. And then the fourth was what I call the dark force entity, which was a hooded, black hooded entity that had red eyes. You know, no discernible features other than uh, a pair of glowing red eyes. Wow. And... Sorry. No, 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 I'm sorry. But do do you feel that these were distinct entities, or do you think they were all the same thing, just taking different well, forms? It's it's hard to say because you know I actually saw, and this was in 1979, after um, returning home from Florida, which I ended up having, I believe God orchestrated this when I had a meeting with my uncle Clifford, who was my dad's brother, my dad's older brother, uh, very devout Christian. And we had a lengthy discussion while in Florida, and he shared that uh, we could cast these things out in the name of Jesus Christ, and, um, you know, that we did have power and authority over these things. God gave us power and authority over this. I believe that when Yahweh created us, he really did give us dominion over the earth and every living thing, and if, in fact, that's true, then we would have power and authority over Satan and his minions. So I've often said, Satan does not just come and 
and just overpower us and, and take our power in that manner to where he overwhelms us. He comes and tricks us, and we give our power over to him. We give it over. He knows that he is under our authority. And so after that discussion with my uncle, little did I know that upon returning, I would engage in my first battle with these demonic forces. And I was 13 years old. It was 1979. And I just uh, witnessed, I was in the house uh, with five adults and one including my mother, and uh, she had a new man in her life at the time by the name of Richard. Uh, Richard was very much like my dad, very man's man, you know, very tough man and um, former boxer, yet he was physically assaulted many times in the house, was terrified to be in there. It was only his love for my mother that kept him around, so he was present on that day, and my Aunt Joyce, and her boyfriend were also present on that day, and also my grandmother was present. So there were five adults present, and uh, I was 13 years old. And my mom had just been picked up by an unseen force and hurled through the air, hurled through the air by an unseen force, and she landed into her makeup table. She was cut open. She was scratched, and also at this point in time, we had a Catholic priest involved. Now, my family and I uh, are not Catholic, however, my step-grandfather was, and he went to his church uh, and made them aware of the situation, and they had a, uh, sent a priest out, and, and I very much appreciate that. However, I have to say that the activity grew more violent and more intense with his involvement. I'm not putting any blame on him, but I'm just yeah. stating the facts. Um, and at that point, he was bringing mason jars full of holy water. He was a frequent visitor to the house. We had a number that we could call him in the middle of the night if we needed him, and things of that nature. So after witnessing my mom being assaulted in this manner, something inside of me just snapped. And I grabbed the jar of the holy water, and I grabbed the Bible, and I began to call these things out in the name of Jesus. And here's where I made my mistake. You know, I was 13. And I'm calling them out, demanding them to show themselves. What I should have been doing is binding them and casting them out. And I didn't do that. Uh, right. I was calling them, demanding them to show themselves. And it was like a scene from a horror movie. The house began to vibrate. Things were falling off the walls. It was very chaotic. The adults were terrified. I should have been terrified as well, but I was not. And it was during the course of this that these four manifestations appeared several feet in front of me in the living room. The adults were standing behind me in the dining room. And uh, we saw these apparitions very clearly for several seconds, and they manifested in, like, greenish, yellowish beams of light. We saw them clearly, and then after several seconds, they just dissipated. They did not just suddenly vanish. They did not go away or float up through the ceiling like the one entity that I described to you. They dissipated, and as they just dissipated in that manner, all the chaotic activity stopped, and we left and went over to Richard's for the night. But uh, that was my first battle with uh, demonic forces, and certainly not my last. But um, it's just amazing. I think that it was part of God's plan there to uh, maybe attest. And, and I have to say, 
uh, again, I must reiterate that I, I wouldn't wish these experiences on anyone. However, looking at it in retrospect, I could not be where I'm at today had I not been there. So God does work in mysterious ways, and I do believe that he allowed me to experience some of those things to have me where he has me in the position that he has me now, currently, in helping other people. That's true. You definitely don't hear about uh, people getting tossed across the room very often. That's not a, a common occurrence. Well, there were other times that my mom would try and lay down on the sofa. And again, my brother and I missed a lot of foolish children because uh, after these attacks, you know, I would feel like I had the flu. And he would get sick quite a bit as well. So there was quite a bit of sickness in the house always. And we weren't getting proper rest either. So it was very, very difficult to maintain a regular school schedule. So we both missed a lot of school as children. And um, there were times that if we were both in school, my mom would be in the house by herself. And there were times that uh, she would try and, and lay down on the sofa to take a nap you know, during the day, and an unseen force would actually levitate the sofa while she was on it, and she would have to jump off the sofa and run out of the house to a neighbor's house until we got back. That's how bad it was. Yeah. Uh, Bill, what was the history of that area? The history uh, and the history of the house? Do Do you know much about it? Yeah, a good friend of mine by the name of John D. Romine did some uh, extensive research into the area. He's a retired police officer uh, in the area, Anne Arundel County police officer. And uh, he had found out that there's a structure located two miles south from the house, and it sits in the middle of the woods. And according, I've never seen this for myself, but according to him, uh, he says that it doesn't, match with any of the other landscape it just looks like there's a place there he said it's a gigantic three-story uh, boulder like structure called the wishing rock and john said that many native american tribes used to gather at this structure saying they had supernatural powers yeah. and um so if there's any truth to this at all then it is possible that maybe this was a vortex or a gateway uh, or some doorway for these entities to come through, and it has greatly affected the area because, uh, again, I get messages to this very day from people in the area telling me about their experiences. Yeah, so it's not just isolated to that house. That's correct. Yeah, it's not isolated. And um, John said that also uh, the houses there were built in the 40s, for the, uh, some of the soldiers returning from the war. And prior to that, I think he said it was uh, probably back in the you know Civil War times, it was a rifle range called Saunders Range, which was you know right in the immediate area. And he talked about tragedies occurring there as well. And behind the house um, was a very long and deep ravine and I'll tell you, there are uh, lots of brush, you know, down in the ravine, lined the banks on each side. But one spot in particular was such an eerie place in that ravine, and it was barren. Nothing grew there. You know, it was just mm-hmm. like this 
barren place, and I heard that it was an Indian burial ground. I can't right. confirm that. However, you know, that is what I heard, and I can tell you it was a very eerie place to be. And uh, then I heard rumors that uh, someone had died in our home in, in the back room where my sister you know, made her bedroom and uh, that there were also bodies buried under the house. I can't confirm those rumors. I don't know. But, you know, you hear all kinds of things. And another thing that I heard is uh, the people that lived there before us had done something very bizarre, which I never could figure out why the walls in our home were so solid because the walls in most of the other Herondale houses were very, very thin. It would be very easy to put a fist or a knee or an elbow through those walls. However, the walls in our house were very solid. And uh, we never could understand that. And then a reliable source told me that the people that lived there before us had done something very bizarre in which they built walls over top of the existing walls in the house. <laughs> is that not bizarre? Yeah, that is strange. Bill, and I can you... also tell you... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, no. Go ahead. I can also tell you that as a child, uh, I had developed a compulsion to dig into the walls. And, uh, again, we had this dark brown paneling on most of the walls in the house, but in the closet uh, that I share with my brother, in that closet, it was like um, sheet metal painted blue and it was like riveted you know riveted sheet metal and i just had this compulsion uh to dig in and open that and i started off by getting a butter knife i think you know and then i tried to went and got one of my dad's flathead screwdrivers and tried to dig in there and you know again i was very very young had no idea why i was doing that and thank god i didn't get it fully opened, you know, but these compulsions would come over us. That, again, this was part of the demonic oppression that was taking place in the house. Okay. Bill, and also, um, when, when you finally did leave the house, um, these things really did not stop for you. Maybe not as bad, but I That's think that correct. later on as you, as you, because you cover what happened inside the house in Dark Force, but you go on in Delivered and you talk about um, uh, uh, someone that you knew that became demonically possessed. Yeah. And then there was also the um, your your alien abduction experiences. That's and correct. UFO sightings, going out and looking for UFOs. Can you cover some of that? Yeah, which, uh, again, my final conclusions on on that matter is that it is all connected it is all connected um let me start by saying this i've done extensive studies into the bible the king james the 66 books in the king james and the 534 other books that were left out i've done extensive studies in the ancient history uh, i found 70 scriptures it talks about um god whose name is yahweh um with the heavenly host traversing the heavens, which means skies, in flying craft. So, if that's true, based on those scriptures, if that's true, well then, 
I would have to believe that Satan and his minions would have the capabilities to traverse the skies in flying craft as well. Because do it too, yeah. I believe that, you know, Satan and his minions were cast out of God's heavenly kingdom, uh, most likely in those flying craft. And if that's true, well, then they came down here and uh, they took, some of them took human women and, uh, you know, joined with those women and produced the hybrid offspring of the Nephilim, uh, which most likely operate those craft as well. So I believe there's two sources there, and then uh, I think that factions on the Earth, uh, some governments have back-engineered that technology, and they operate some of those craft. And then it is quite possible. We can't prove it. I don't see anything written anywhere that would indicate this. However, I would be open to the possibility to believe that Yahweh did create life elsewhere in the universe, in the vastness of everything. It is entirely possible. We cannot prove it. Um, and until God himself or, or Jesus or an angel or something uh, comes and says otherwise, you know, it's something that we're, I guess we're not to know. But uh, so there are four sources for these sightings, you know, in the skies. And I have to believe, in my case, that the majority of those sightings were evil in nature because it nearly destroyed me. Uh, I had become obsessed with this phenomena. I began to take upteen pictures and, and shoot just endless video footage. I shot like over 16 hours of video footage, and every major news station in the area here covered my story. It was on the 6 o'clock news, you know, showing my footage and uh, live interviews with me. I used to take people out on sky watches, and I had some of the news stations come out live, you know, with news interviews for the sky watches and things of this nature. And, you know, all the while, I'm thinking that, uh, oh, this is a great thing, and, um, you know, they're going to use me as some ambassador between them and mankind and things of this nature, and and that's how Satan lies to us. You know, he manipulates us, and all the while, my life was crumbling around me. I mean, everything was just going horribly wrong, and I couldn't see it because I was so immersed in this, and that is exactly how the enemy works. He takes something and makes it a compulsion, and he makes the person have tunnel vision for that and where the person can't see anything else that's going on or going wrong in their life. And this is a very dangerous thing. And I lecture about this as well, um, Adam, that, you know, when I go to some churches, I lecture about this and, and try to warn people that, you know, we've got to be very careful, whatever it may be, um, you know, when dabbling in the things of this nature, we got to be careful because it's very easy to get hooked into something like that, and then uh, a person's life is destroyed. I've seen it. You know, mine was nearly destroyed. I've seen other people's lives destroyed, and it could lead to death. I mean, that is the ultimate goal of demons anyway. When you go to churches, Bill, how do they, how do they receive it? when you talk about this this kind of thing about the paranormal uh, well from, you know from... it's yeah it's it's um 
once I'm there, they receive it very well because they they feel my sincerity, and God always has, he has this way, and I praise him for it, of using me to make connections with people. So I don't know why it is. It's just his doing that when people hear me speak, they instantly feel a connection. So it always ends up, you know, people coming and sharing their stories with me or they come up and ask me to pray for them, things of that nature. But it is very difficult getting into the churches to start with because yeah. a lot of churches don't want it. They don't uh, they, they don't want that at all. They don't, they don't want to talk about that. Uh, and look, here's the thing. I'm not trying to bring a bad thing onto someone. I'm not trying to open a doorway and say, you know, here, take this terrible story in. What I'm trying to do is build faith for people and say, look, God brought me through some of the very worst of circumstances in life. And if he could do this for me, he could do it for you and you and you and you and you. Anyone who calls on him, anyone that shows any kind of faith, he will reward our faith by delivering us. Now, I know it's true. I'm a walking miracle from God. So that's how it ends up. But a lot of times, you know, in contacting churches, they are just not receptive. If, uh, and I'm yeah. sorry to say that, uh, you know, a lot of the churches now, not all, but a lot of them, they're into the prosperity <clears throat> thing. They're yes. into, uh, you know, and again, there's nothing wrong with prosperity. There's nothing wrong with prospering in life. That's a wonderful thing. However, yeah, I agree. Yep. if you're preaching a doctrine that, um, again, totally focuses on that, and you're not focused on what God says, you're not focused on, on how he wants us to be uh, towards each other. You know, I've... <laughs> I've seen some people who claim to be Christians treat people horribly, and they want to shut people out and say, you know, you're damned to hell, and you're this, and you're that, and I can't talk to you because you're this and you're that. Well, I learned a lot of lessons there as well, and I live by two things. I love God with everything, every fiber of my being. He is first in my life. My wife and I make Him first. And that's number one. Number two... I love my friend, my neighbor, my brother, as I would myself. I try to treat people the best that I can possibly treat them. I try to be the best that I can be each and every day, and I always try to help others to achieve uh, being the best that they can be. So if we can do this on a daily basis, the world suddenly becomes a better place because people care about each other. That's what we've lost, yeah. and we need to get back to that. And even a lot of the churches... Um, they don't care. If you are not giving them money, if you don't serve a purpose <laughs> yeah. to them, they don't care, and they have no use for you. So it really enrages me um, when I see some people treated in this manner, and I do get those messages a lot from people who say that you know, they've had supernatural problems and demonic problems, and they went to their pastor, and the pastor turns them away and says, well, what do you want me to do? I don't know how to deal with this. I'm not equipped yeah. with it. They are don't know you how kidding? to handle it. Yeah, I mean, what are we doing here? What Something is lost. And what it is, people need to get back to following God. Now, there are 34,000 different Christian denominations. 34,000, that's a real number. So, <laughs> 34, that means there's 34,000 different doctrines. So, that tells me that men have made up their own doctrines, 
and they have gotten away from God, and they are following their own doctrines. And this is... So if you have 34,000 different Christian denominations, and then you factor in all the other world religions, well, you've probably got over 100,000 versions of one truth. How can this be? I'll tell you how it can be. Satan is the author of confusion. He is the one that brings up the barriers and divides people. Why? Because if you divide people, you can conquer them. It's easier to conquer them divided. United, we're strong. Divided, we will fall. He knows it. That's what he does. That's his M.O. People can't understand it. They can't realize it. So I can tell you this right now. The way I live my life, I love all people. I don't judge anybody. It's not my place to judge anybody. Each and every one of us will stand before God one day for something. We're all guilty of something. There's no perfect people that walk the face of the earth. So all That's we entirely can do, true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all we can do is just try and be the best that we can be each and every day, and we hope that God will use us to be a blessing to somebody. That's it. Well, let me ask you, Bill, too. Um, we're kind of back to the beginning of the of the show a little bit. Um, You had mentioned that uh, someone in your family, possibly way back, had done something in the past. Do you have an idea of what that was? Uh, Again, loosely, uh, a loose base idea, because we're probably talking, it could be back in the uh, early 30s that someone did something, and I'm by hearsay. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's possible that they did something um, to conjure up these demonic forces. Now, whatever that entails, I'm not entirely sure. But, uh, you know, was it a Ouija board? Was it some sort of uh, summoning? Uh, I don't know that for sure, but I, I have a strong inclination and feeling about it that it probably most likely was something along those lines. Yeah. Well, people go and... and in my opinion, well, my co-host would differ a little bit, but uh, people that go in and mess, I think, with the occult, I don't think they really know what they're doing. So, You are exactly right, and we have to be super careful because, again, when one goes into these realms, they're literally swimming with sharks. Yeah. Yeah, you don't know what's there. <clears throat> Someone has to have a real uh, curiosity for... Uh, the unknown and uncertainty, and uh, you don't. You, I'm sure you wouldn't know what to expect. Uh, you know, messing around with occultism. Yeah, it's uh, you know, again, it's playing Russian roulette, and and chances are, uh, more than likely, <clears throat> Satan is going to launch a, an attack on that person, and uh, horrible things are going to happen. Yeah. And again, my best advice to people like that, which people do come to me for deliverance from those types of things. And I don't condemn them. I don't beat them down. I try to just strip all that away from them and build them up. You know, I'm a people builder, and that's what I want to do. I want to bring people up. And I, you know, the first thing I try to instill in people is to make your personal connection with God. Um, That is number one. And ask Him to forgive you for everything. I say to people, look, get on your knees and just confess it to Him. He already knows, but confess it to Him. He delights. When we come to him as children and we confess everything, and he does reward us with a blessing afterward. So that's the first and main thing, and no one is beyond redemption. We all, by by having free will, we are free to make our choices. And if we choose to, to do good and to be good, hey, 
by our choice, but we can also choose to do the other things as well. It's all by our free will, which God gave to us. So, you know, we have to be very mindful and, and very careful there as well, because each and every one of us have the propensity uh, to, to be good and to do good, but we also have the propensity by our choice to do evil. And uh, so I choose life, I choose good, and these things come from God, and I just endlessly praise Him and will forever praise Him. Now, does that mean that I am sin-free? Absolutely not. Yeah. I think just like everybody else. I try not to. I try to be the best that I can be, but I fall short just like everybody else. And anybody that says otherwise is a liar. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's very true. Um, Bill, when you go to um, paranormal conventions like the Mid-South, uh, how do you feel when you go to those to, to those specific kind of events? Well, I, I feel... Everywhere I go, you know, when it's into a type of event like that, uh, I'm very different, I'll say it like that. You know, yeah. I'm kind of like the sore thumb. Now, I love people, and I love a lot of people there and people wherever I go, and people receive me uh, where I go, wherever I go, and that's a wonderful thing. However, um, people also know that I don't go into those areas that a lot of those people do go into, and uh, have no desire to, so they know that as well. But there's a respect, you know, I respect everyone, and I get respect back. Right. And I just always try to be a blessing to somebody, and, you know, it's it's amazing that some of those people uh, do come to me for prayer, for deliverance, and, and share problems with me and want to be delivered from being involved in things like that. And uh, even at some of my lectures where, you know, a lot of, a lot of my appearances are just appearing by myself um a lot of times at at those events you know people come up for prayer or deliverance and it's just very very powerful well bill we're almost a little bit we're almost out of time uh but you wanted to make an announcement and the time that we had um yeah i'm, I'm very very happy to first of all I want to thank you guys for having me it's been amazing well, thank you. it's been great talking to you yeah i look forward to coming back again soon uh just send me some dates and, and we'll do it again soon. But uh, I am so happy to tell you that uh, I have recently signed a movie deal with 35 millimeter pictures and uh, they are going to be making dark force the movie. And so very excited about it. They are looking uh, to, to do the, uh, the shoot in late winter and they are hoping to have the film out by this time next year. So I praise God for that Excellent. because uh, again, we're gonna we're gonna keep the integrity of the story, and and I'm listed as executive producer, so I will have power to, uh, to make sure that uh, the the story is kept pretty much intact. Yeah, as I think that it's without all the Hollywood fluff, I don't think yeah. you need to add too much there because it it is. It's as terrifying as it possibly needs to be as a true story. And Absolutely. I really hope that it's treated well. I really do. Yeah, I'm very blessed. And again, I believe that God brought this together and everything is in his time and we praise him for it. So I'll keep you guys updated on everything and uh, as it progresses. It's very exciting. I'm very much looking forward to, to going and doing this shoot. I'm going to be on the set for eight weeks. And uh, I'm just very, very much looking forward to it. And uh, it's going to be amazing to see the, 
the final product and to see it out in the theaters and on the screen. And I just hope that it uh, is not only well received, I hope that, you know, again, like the book, as disturbing and terrifying as it is, it will leave audiences with a positive, uplifting message. That's going to be the overall message, just like sure. the book. Bill, is there anything that um, that you're studying now that uh, particularly interests you? Well, I try to study everything. You know, my Absolutely, mind is like, yeah. you know, we never stop learning. And uh, I'm always seeking answers for different things. And uh, I, I just, I can't get enough. You know, I am a knowledge seeker because I'm a truth seeker. I like to uh, to know the truth so I could speak the truth, so I could teach the truth. And that's, uh, again, that's part of my makeup. And so I'm always seeking uh, uh, answers in different areas in life and um, different philosophies and, and historical aspects as well. So, But for anyone out there who would like to order copies of my books, please visit my website, www.billbean.net. Uh, for anyone out there who is in need of prayer or deliverance, please contact me on billbean.net. You can email me personally from the site. I answer every single email. It would be my honor and pleasure to help you. Bill, uh, stay on the line. We're going to close it out here. And uh, Luke, I think we're going to go to take a little break. And right. uh, we'll be back on Conspiranormal. And we are back on Conspiranormal. Yeah, yeah. We're close out the show. Luke, what do you think of Bill Bean? He's a pretty cool guy. Um, and what I found most interesting is uh, the encounters are just more intense, you know, than yeah pretty much any other haunting story i've ever heard yeah it's pretty crazy stuff and i mean crazy not like insane but just yeah to, uh, tossed know. across the room and ob- yeah. as far as objects go and uh, and the descriptions of the entities that right. he saw yeah and, and uh, several like a nice variety of entities too and them uh, being sick and not being able to go to school yeah. and just and, the assault that they were under that's something that i kind of wanted to say too uh during the show is uh, a lot of people you know, they get into like occultism and like dark arts and stuff like that kind of romanticize what demons would look like, you know, and they want to see them and feel their power and stuff yeah. like that. But they don't, they're not taking into consideration that if you invite uh, darkness upon yourself, that it usually takes, um, and, and uh, what am I trying to say? An, ug- it, toll on an, yourself. Ugly, an ugly form, you know, it's yeah, not going to be form, yeah. what you expected to see, like, you know, some some big powerful being before you, it's more like you've got terrible luck and everything starts crashing all right. around you, which is, you know, what he's saying happened yeah. to him all of those years. Which happened to, really, I mean, really to his parents, and first to his to his father and then to his mother. Yeah. And then just... Just it was like just an aval- avalanche, just a snowball effect. Yeah, and you kept getting like a weird phone call right in the middle of the while we were it, talking to him. Yeah, it's it seems like someone's trying to call me from Skype or something because it it's not regular phone numbers. They're all too many digits or too little digits. And, I think it's the NSA. <laughs> and then there's, now it's unknown. So and now it's unknown. Now it's unknown. So oh, I, well. I have no clue. Well, hey, next time uh, we're gonna have. For a Halloween show, we're going to have Stephen McDougal and possibly another one of his group. McDougal. McDougal. Of uh, the Tennessee Wraith Chasers. Right on. And uh, these couple guys that uh, we've gotten to know. Um, Luke, you've never met them, but uh, a certain uh, person that we know and myself have gotten to work with them. 
and is helping them do some tech work. So going to yeah. have him on, talk about their stuff. And uh, also, you know, interesting for me that they have this kind of Christian angle to what they do, and you don't see too much of that in ghost hunting. So just thought that was interesting. But uh, I'm not going to bore you too much with it. Because so. <laughs> I know you want to conjure up, do some Enochian yeah. magic. When I get home, I'm going to go rightly. I'm so. going to put some language of the Magi on, some scrolls, uh, and then I'm going to write it in my blood and then try to make a Eumoculus too while I'm, while I'm at do it. Do it, man. Just, the, the, <laughs> just uh, you know, listen to those, uh, those the, goats brain. The brain goats right? on the tape. But anyway, uh, I think we're going to close it out, call it a night. And uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed your guitar playing Thank you. through the entire show. <laughs> It's been very nice and soothing hey. while we talked about people being um, tormented by demons. <laughs> it's hard for me to sit here still with nothing in my hands to do. <laughs> uh, that Okay, we won't even go there. Uh, all right, well, join us <laughs> next time for uh, Conspiranormal.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.